From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters. Thanks for watching Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Marjorie Sensor. The Air Force has a new nominee for Assistant Secretary for Manpower and Reserve Affairs. The White House tapped Vice President for Strategic Initiatives at the Aerospace Industries Association, Alex Wagner. If the Senate confirms him, Wagner will manage personnel issues for almost 700,000 Air Force employees, Air Force Times reports. The Navy is decommissioning one of its littoral combat ships, the Independence. That leaves the Naval Fleet with 22 littoral combat ships, Military Times reports. The Navy's budget for fiscal year 2022 proposes delivering five new littoral combat ships and retiring four others. The House is advancing a $270 billion budget for the Department of Veterans Affairs. The 2022 budget would be the largest in the agency's history, Military Times reports. Senate lawmakers are expected to begin considering the legislation this week. The Office of Personnel Management has new guidance for agency leaders to develop flexible telework policies. OPM recommends managers make most telework decisions based on job function and not managerial preference. Jeff Neal is former Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. Thanks for joining me, Jeff. What are agency officials thinking about as they prepare these new policies? Well, I think there, there are a lot of things. You know, number one is they're going to have uh, some tension between people who want to telework and some of the managers who really didn't like telework before the pandemic and don't like it now. So you're going to have these these opposing forces in agencies trying to decide how much telework is appropriate. Should people be allowed to telework full time or even even work remotely, uh, which is a different thing. And so they're going to be looking at that. They're going to have to look at what kind of technology they need to support telework. You know, one of the things we learned in the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey was, was employees thought they needed better uh, tech support for telework than they got. So those are some things that they're going to have to look at, which means you're going to have to have a partnership between managers in the agency and their HR folks and their CIO's office. I assume there are some, some real lessons learned about um, both telework and remote work during the pandemic. What do you think are kind of the primary takeaways here on, on the side of, of managers and of employees? Well, the, the biggest one on the side of the employees who want to telework is that a lot of people had been, tele, been told for years they couldn't telework, that their jobs weren't appropriate for it. And then when the pandemic hit, managers went to those same employees and said, well, we need you to telework. And obviously, it was probably kind of a shock for some employees to be told, you know, now you have to telework when they were told before, well, your job's not appropriate for telework. So I, I think we learned that telework is appropriate for far more jobs than we ever thought before. And the people who've been opposing telework, uh, for the most part, have had the rug pulled out from under them because we, we proved that telework worked in a great many cases. What we did find is that there are some employees who who struggled with telework, who either you know, didn't have a good setup at home for working at home, or they just didn't have the discipline to work at home by themselves. Uh, so that was a problem for some folks. Uh, they found that for some jobs, it, it just doesn't work as well as they had hoped because people needed to, to interact more or they needed information. You know, for example, if you needed uh, access to top secret information, you couldn't get that at home. It's, you can't take top secret information home with you. So there are things like that that I think people learn. I think a lot of managers learn though that they could make it work, that it will require different management skills on their part. You know, that 
what you do when you can just walk down the hall and talk to somebody is different from how you manage when you've got somebody who's working at home and you can't just pop in on them very easily. So, so there's some things that they're going to have to learn that are different and they're going to have to learn how to do performance management better because they didn't do performance management particularly well before the pandemic. And I think the pandemic and the, the increased telework uh, and remote work just makes it more difficult to handle that. You distinguish between uh, telework and remote work. What is the difference there? Can you walk us through? Sure. The, the big difference is that telework is, uh, is either uh, recurring telework where you're doing it on a regular basis or it's, it's situational telework where you, you might work from home for two days to work on a project. And then the next time you want to work from home, you ask your boss again, can I work from home? Uh, regular recurring telework is, is telework where an employee might work from home, say, three days a week and be in the office a couple days a week. So that's a little different from the, the situational type of telework. And then remote work is something where the employee is really not expected to come into the office at all. So I could have an office that's in Washington, D.C., and I could be working in Boise, Idaho, and that's fine. They, they don't expect me to come to Washington, D.C. And so telework is, is, is uh, remote work is telework taken to the extreme. So it, it's, it's don't have to work in town where the office is. Don't ever have to come in except maybe, you know, maybe once a year you go to a meeting or something in town. So it's, it's a little different. Uh, telework's got enough complexities that OPM has actually said they're going to put out a guide on, excuse me, remote work. Uh, they're going to put out a guide on remote work because there are so many questions that people have about it. But tell, I, I do think that remote work is going to be something we're going to see more and more of. And it's probably going to be something that a lot of agencies end up using as a recruiting tool. You know, if I can advertise a job and say, well, you can work in you know, any state in the union, uh, it makes it a lot more appealing to some people than saying, okay, we've got a job for you and to take that job, you have to move to Boston. You know, or you have to move to D.C., or you have to move to Topeka. So the, I think we're going to see remote work growing, and I think we're also going to see that it becomes a very effective recruiting tool for the government. Uh, Jeff, as, the, as federal uh, leaders are thinking about, um, you know, what a return to work looks like, do you think these new rules relating to um, vaccination or testing um, changes that at all? Well, I, I think... You'd probably find that most federal employees, at least the majority, have been vaccinated already. So that's a, a very good thing. Uh, I do think we're going to find tension continuing on on uh, the pandemic and on vaccinations and how that's handled. You know, we've already we've had the president's policy put out, which I think was extremely reasonable policy. Uh, some of the unions are saying, "Well, we don't want it implemented until we bargain over it," which I think is is um, is a mistake on their part. I mean, they're, they're really putting the institutional interests of the unions ahead of, of their own workforce, I think, in those cases. So I think we're going to continue to see some tension related to the, pa the pandemic and vaccination, uh, mainly because what should clearly be a public health question and, and should have public health solutions has turned into a political issue. And you know, we know when you turn something into a political issue, reason goes out the window and, and people you know, kind of move off into their various tribes and start fighting with one another. So I, I would like to see that go away. I'd love to see people just deal with this as a, 
as a public health emergency, uh, which it is, but I'm, I'm not optimistic we're going to see that anytime soon. Thanks for joining me, Jeff. Happy to be here. Coming next, hitting 3 million participants in the Thrift Savings Plan. Straight ahead on Government Matters, reviewing the biggest benefits for those new users. You're watching WJLA 24-7 News. The life cycle funds from the Thrift Savings Plan just hit 3 million participants. All of the L funds for TSP reported gains in June. Kim Weaver is Director of External Affairs at the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board. Thanks for joining me, Kim. Why do you think you're seeing increased participation in these L funds? Um, in large part, it's driven by auto enrollment. Um, we now, we have been in auto enrolling people in an age appropriate L fund uh, for the past several years. And now that we also have BRS, our Uniform Services participants, being auto-enrolled since uh, for the past two and a half years, that has driven uh, the number of people in the L funds up. So as you said, 3 million people, that's about 48% of our participants have at least some money in the L funds. Wow, I assume some people are, are actively choosing these funds as well. Can, is there, um, you know, the appeal there of choosing your own date for what you think your retirement is going to be? Absolutely, people do choose. I, I for one, have chosen um, uh, an L fund. And, and in part, it's because it's a professionally designed fund that, auto, uh, that automatically rebalances every quarter. So you, I, have the, the comfort in knowing that it's designed for people who are um, going to hit a certain age at retirement. And to the extent that people want more, I was talking to a participant just yesterday who said he wanted something a little more aggressive, but he wanted the, the um, rebalancing as well. So to the extent that that's true, you just pick a target date that's a little further out than what you would ordinarily do based on your age. And, and how is the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board reacting to this increased participation if, if necessary? We, we don't have to do anything. That's the beauty of the L funds. We, every year we review the L fund um, allocations to make sure that they're in line with what we're trying to do for our participants. And we tweak them as, as necessary, but the participants don't have to do anything. That's the beauty of the L funds. And um, do you uh, get the sense that this has been a time that participants are looking at their funds, that they are, you know, weighing what they should be doing? Has this been a, a, a moment at all for, for users? Um, what we normally, we send out an annual statement, which uh, participants receive in the February timeframe. And that drives um, a lot, that plus having to do your taxes drives a lot of people to look at their TSP account. Um, so I'm not sure it's happening now, but certainly it happens earlier in the year. Sure. Let's also talk about the Converge effort. Uh, how is that going? Thankfully, very well. Um, the Converge effort is our new record keeper. We are um, go in the process of implementation that's going to go live in the summer of next year. Um, trying to do that implementation right for 6.3 million participants. We want, you know, we obviously want to take the time necessary. Um, so we're hitting all of the milestones we've got laid out and we're very much looking forward to getting that done and in place for our participants. 
And Kim, can you talk a little bit about what you think the benefits will be for, for participants? There'll be a lot. For example, younger participants, well, all participants um, want mobile apps, right? It just makes things easier. You can use the native security on your phone. So we will be able to roll out a, a mobile app um, to the extent that participants want additional investment choices. They'll be able to go through and use a mutual fund window that will have about 5,000 mutual funds available to participants. Um, things like uh, no longer having to have notarized signatures will be able to roll out e-signatures. And so there's a whole variety of things that I think will be um, more convenient for people as well as user-friendly. Is there going to be any sort of transition period, um, you know, before that goes live where, um, you know, you'll maybe have two options or that, the, that you won't be able to use something you're used to using? It is very likely that there will be some period where we'll have to have what we call a blackout period. Um, a couple, couple years ago, we um, rolled out additional withdrawals and we said that for anyone taking uh, withdrawals under the previous system, there was a, a dead a stop date. And then we were able to roll out the additional withdrawals. It's just to make sure that the, the systems are able to properly maintain and track all those things. But we haven't gotten to the point where we'd be able to announce that um, those are the things that we're working through. I recall that when that happened, um, it, it seems like there was a lot of extra communication with users to try to, to make them aware of what the changes were going to be, what the uh, transition looked like. Are you ramping up for that as well? Absolutely. We'll have a communications plan for, a, again, there's a whole variety of changes that will be coming. So we'll be communicating um, and communicating and communicating to make sure that participants know what's coming and when. Perfect. Thanks for joining me, Kim. Thanks, Marjorie. Good to see you. You too. Up next, a billion dollars going to tech modernization for agencies. Straight ahead on Government Matters, why the White House says that's still not enough. We archive every episode of Government Matters on govmatters.tv. I'll be right back. The Technology Modernization Fund has an extra billion dollars from the COVID stimulus package to support agency IT upgrades, but the White House still wants to add another half billion dollars to the fund. Jonathan Alvin is Federal Chief Technology Officer at ServiceNow. He's former Chief Information Officer at the Agriculture Department. He's writing about investing in technology for hybrid workplaces in NextGov. Thanks for joining me, Jonathan. Let's talk a little bit about this cash infusion and, and how agency leaders can, can use it effectively. Sure. Well, you know, I think that there's a, a lot of opportunity to modernize processes and digitally transform our agencies based on what we've been seeing um, relative to, to COVID and the future of work. You know, we, we've said before that, you know, COVID is this clarion call for, for digital transformation because we know that no matter where work happens, whether it's in a federal office or in someone's home, that uh, digital workflows are really a key to driving productivity and um, great employee and customer customer experiences. And I think the question really becomes, you know, where do we start 
in looking at our agencies and trying to determine what processes need to change in order to be a more digital organization, which drives this idea of a, of a hybrid workforce. And, you know, a great place to start is always looking at the processes that have a manual component to them paper-based processes. Uh, maybe there are documents that have to be signed and mailed into an agency. You know, those are great candidates for, for digitization and um, the use of TMF funds to digitally transform those processes is a, you know, I think a very interesting idea for everybody to consider. And I know you're thinking a lot about these hybrid workplaces. Do you see technology um, as being able to help both the, the workforce piece of it and the customer piece of it? Uh, I do. Um, so from, you know, let's begin with um, federal employees. You know, they, they have to have the right technologies in order to work seamlessly, irrespective of their, their physical location. And, you know, as we move into this hybrid environment where some people will be in an office and some people are going to be at their homes, uh, it's going to be different than when we're all at our homes. So that might require some different technologies. Um, just the idea of being in a, a conference room um, with a few of your colleagues while others are on Zoom is, you know, creates a little um, different experience than, we, than we've had now. And that might require some new technology as well. But when we think about the customers that those federal employees serve, the people they serve, and it always comes back to the people. Um, do we have the right tools in place to make those people feel comfortable working with an agency digitally? Uh, we we changed a lot of processes very quickly in the early days of COVID and very successfully. But I think part of the, the ongoing question is those changes we made, are they sustainable and are they really the right processes that we want to have going forward? I think this is a time to, to rethink and redesign some of those processes and make sure that they're the right ones for a digital government now and into the future. How, how do you recommend that agency leaders think about those processes or the technology that they've deployed during this period and, and you know how to how to kind of go forward from here? Yeah, so um, part of it is thinking about what work really needs to needs to be done on site. You know, how well do you understand the data in your organization, and how well do you understand the work, and how the data and the work flow through the through the agency? Are where where are the silos, and where are the opportunities for for automation? And once you understand those things, now you can think about investing in. Uh, technologies, digital platforms, low-code tools that help you rapidly change and create new and better experiences for employees and and uh, agency agency customers. These um you know these these opportunities are all within our within our grasp. We have um we have the opportunity to change, and the TMF is providing funding uh, in a lot of cases to to do this. But you know we 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 have to be thoughtful about how we move forward and be very you know, clear with what we're trying to achieve, I think, across um, all of our communities and the people we serve. What do you think are the, the challenges or, or pitfalls there? Well, um, you know, sometimes moving too fast can be a pitfall. Moving too fast can, you know, create blind spots and we might invest in a technology or make a change before we really understand its implications. And I, I'd say also right now, you know, we're in a time where I think as we're talking about a return to work, you know, there is a lot of anxiety around this um, with, with some employees. And I think it's very important for agencies to be communicating a very clear uh, process and protocol so employees can make uh, correct decisions and they can understand 
understand how these vaccine mandates and, you know, testing options impact them, which, you know, by the way, those also create some really new and potentially challenging uh, requirements for agencies. That information around vaccination status, the information around an ongoing uh, testing regimen for for employees that may not be vaccinated, you know, that information is, um, you know, potentially uh, uh, protected health information needs to be secure. It needs to be needs to be managed. So we have to be thinking about how this rapidly uh, changing environment of these new these new mandates impact the way that we run our agencies and interact with our employees. And then, you know, what, I think one last point um, really comes down to this idea of a uh, future of work. And I know while we're talking about a return to work, um, a lot of people are thinking beyond that and considering a return to work. And, you know, for agency leaders, that process needs to be very collaborative. What is that going to look like? And it has to be, you know, include listening to employees and uh, employee unions. And, you know, there needs to be a good um, amount of compassion and empathy around this being a very complex change for, for people after, you know, a year plus of working from home in, in this kind of environment. And, you know, the interaction with, uh, it's not just an IT problem, it's interaction with HR, it's interaction with facilities, it's interaction with, um, you know, legal and, and other areas of an agency, you know, makes for um, an environment where we might not get it right the first time and we have to be flexible and continue, continue to think about how we evolve this hybrid environment. And as long as there are technologies underlying it that are flexible and create a opportunity for, um, I'd, I'd call it digital resiliency, I think we're, we're on the right path. And, and as a federal IT community, I'm confident that we can, we can get there. Thanks very much, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. You can find a link to Jonathan's piece at govmatters.tv slash resources. And don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, it's on our website too. You can get a preview and a recap of each show when you sign up for our daily newsletters. You just enter your email in the red box on the website. I'm back in two minutes. North America's largest maritime exposition and conference is back in person. The Navy League Sea Air Space 2021 started today and goes through Wednesday at Gaylord National Harbor. You'll see speakers from the Navy, Marine Corps, Coast Guard, Maritime Administration, and Congress. You can learn more and sign up at govmatters.tv slash events. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 10.30 on 7 News to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Marjorie Semser. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Katherine Roloff and Drew Friedman. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Our director of content is Alan Holmes. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.